This podcast is brought to you by the African Narrative on Climate Change, a non-profit initiative aimed at providing actionable insights through research, relevant data, and impactful policy recommendations, all while elevating the voices of Africans in the climate change dialogue. I'm your host, Aaron John. In each episode, we explore how climate change is altering the lives, landscapes, and futures of millions across Africa through impactful stories in hopes to shift the narrative to transform the way we perceive, discuss, and tackle this global crisis. Let's get into it. So last week we defined climate change and its history. We've established that climate change refers to long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. And in today's episode, we would look at how world leaders have responded to this shift over the years with initiatives like the World Climate Conference and the Paris Agreement. We will finish off with a significant term in our term of the day segment, so stay tuned for that. Alright, let's dive into today's segment. First, I'd like us to visualize the Earth's temperature for the last 10,000 years. So imagine a long timeline with a wavy line on it. Uh, this line represents Earth's temperature. And for a very long time, the line wiggles up and down but stays mostly flat. However, in the last 100 years or so, especially since we started building factories and cities, known as the pre-industrial times, the line starts curving up, showing that something's getting warmer. So scientists uses thermometers and other instruments in various places on land, in the ocean, and in the air, and they collect all these readings to calculate an average temperature for the entire Earth. So think of it like how you might check the temperature in various rooms of a house to get an average indoor temperature. So this is how we've been able to ascertain the Earth's temperature for a very long time. So over time, by comparing the yearly average temperatures, scientists notice that the Earth is getting warmer, especially in the last century. Uh, this is what people refer to as global warming, as we've covered in the last episode. So from those olden days until now, our planet's temperature have increased by about 1.2 degrees Celsius. And when you think of it, uh, it might seem a bit tiny, but when you think of it as happening everywhere on Earth, it becomes a massive shift. So again, let's imagine the Earth's temperature over the last 10,000 years as if you're flipping through a photo album. And um, the Earth's yearly temperature as you go, you'll notice that in the last 40 pages and pictures, which represents the last 40 years, it has shown the hottest time that we've ever recorded. And the most 20 recent pictures that you just flipped through are even hotter. One place that is feeling this heat the most is the Arctic, our planet's ice room. It's warming up almost twice as fast as everywhere else, causing its ice to melt quickly. So why does this matter? Uh, firstly, with the Arctic ice melting and oceans warming, sea levels rise. So think of it like pouring more water into an already full bathtub, which can cause flooding in coastal areas where people live. Additionally, the increase in temperature leads to more extreme weather events. Um, hot days get hotter, heavy rainstorms get heavier, and in some places, their winters might become milder. So who is at risk here? Of course, we all are at risk. However, small island nations and people living in coastal cities and farmers who rely on predictable weather for crops 
are especially vulnerable. We've noted some real-world impacts, you know, as a result of climate change, which includes coral reef getting bleached because of the ocean is too warm, or forests drying out and leading to huge forest fires, uh, or some animals struggling to find food or migrating to new places because their homes are changing too fast. So this warming trend and its effects, they aren't just numbers on a chart or graph. Uh, they are real changes affecting real people, animals, and environment around the world. So now, how has world leaders responded to this change in temperature uh, in the last couple of years? Alright, let's talk about how world leaders have responded over time to the change in temperatures leading up to the Paris Agreement. So from 1970s to 1980s, I will tag this the early awareness. So scientists started raising alarms about the increase in global temperatures and its link to human activities. We had the World Climate Conference which was held in 1979 and was the first major international meeting on climate change. It recognized the significance of human influence on climate. In 1988, we had the IPCC formation. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was established and this body would go on to play a pivotal role in assessing climate change science, its impacts and strategies to mitigate it. During 1992, where we had the Earth Summit, at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, countries adopted the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change or UNFCCC. Its main goal was to stabilize greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere. And in 1997, we had the Kyoto Protocol, which was in Japan, where world leaders adopted the protocol and this treaty was set to bind targets for developed countries to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. However, some major countries like the United States didn't ratify it and others struggled to meet their targets. In 2000, we had quite growing momentum. Despite setbacks, awareness and actions continued to grow. There were more scientific reports and the public started paying more attention to climate change. We had major events like the European heat wave in 2003 and the Hurricane Katrina in 2005, which highlighted the potential impact of a changing climate. Now, in 2009, we had the Copenhagen Summit, where world leaders met in Copenhagen aiming to produce a follow-up agreement to the Kyoto Protocol. However, the summit ended without a legal binding document, really, leading to disappointment among many environmental activists and leaders. In 2015, um, we had perhaps the most ambitious treaty yet, the Paris Agreement. Uh, in a historic meeting in Paris, 196 countries came together to sign the Paris Agreement. The main goal was to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius and aim for 1.5 degrees Celsius, which are above pre-industrial levels. So unlike the Kyoto Protocol, this agreement includes commitments from both developed and developing countries, and it focuses on individual nations' national plan to reduce emissions, adapt to changes and to finance this effort. So in summary, the world's response to climate change has been a journey of increasing awareness, understanding and commitment. The Paris Agreement marked a significant step in global cooperation and addressed this urgent challenge.
So a continent is quite a diverse one with varying capacities among its countries and it has had a multifaceted response to climate change, given that many African countries face immediate and escalating threats from climate change. Of course, despite contributing minimally to global greenhouse gas emissions, uh, their focus has often been on adaptation, resilience building and sustainable development. So let's look at some of these responses. Uh, one, we have the African group of negotiators. So within international climate negotiations, African countries have often worked collectively as the AGN. This group ensures that Africa's voice is united and strong, especially in platforms like the UNFCCC we discussed earlier. Um, secondly, we've had the African Climate Policy Center, the ACPC, which was established by the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. And ACPC provides knowledge and technical support to African nations on climate policy matters. Uh, we have the AAI, which is the African Adaptation Initiative and launched in 2015. It aims to address the increasing threats of climate change by enhancing adaptation efforts in African countries. We've also had quite a focus on renewable energy and Many African nations are investing in renewable energy, recognizing the continent's abundant solar, wind, and hydro resources. So we've had projects like the Green Utopian Renaissance Dam and the Morocco's North Solar Power Plant are examples of this shift. And I hope within the, the time we spend on this podcast, we will be able to discuss some more on some of these initiatives. We've also had the National Adaptation Plans, the NAPS where countries have been developing NAPs to address the vulnerabilities they face due to climate change and to lay out strategies for coping with these impacts. Um, one of my favorite initiatives, which is the Great Green World Initiative, an ambitious project to combat desertification, land degradation, and climate change by creating a mosaic of green and productive landscape across the Sahel region. So we've had quite a number of forest initiatives. A country like Gabon and the Democratic Republic of Congo with vast rainforests have engaged in efforts to conserve and sustainably manage their forests, given their you know, significance as carbon sinks. Um, again, I'd like for us to discuss this subsequently, how forests are you know, such an essential part of our ecosystem, in, particularly as carbon sinks. Many African nations actively seek international support, which is understandable because we often don't have the financial assistance and capacity we need to combat some of these challenges. So civil society organizations and grassroots movements play a crucial role in raising awareness, advocating for stronger actions and implementing on the ground solutions. Likewise, we've had regional bodies like the African Union, ECOWAS, the SADC, you know, SADC, have incorporated climate change into their agendas, fostering collaboration and shared learning among member states. So in conclusion, again, while Africa faces significant challenge due to limited resources and technical capacity um, and other developmental issues. The continent has been proactive in its approach on climate change. African nations are not only seeking solutions to adapt to the change, but they are also exploring sustainable paths to their future development. Okay, so let's wind down today's episode with our term of the day segment. And today's term is the RCP. RCP stands for Representative Concentration Pathways. RCPs are scenarios that represent different trajectories for greenhouse gas concentrations and other forces in the atmosphere and over the 21st century and beyond, of course. So they're used to understand potential future climate conditions under various levels of human influence. Here's a breakdown of the term RCP. So representative, these are pathways that are not detailed predictions of future emissions. However, 
they represent a range of possible futures. And for concentration, it focuses on the resulting concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere rather than specific actions or policies that might lead to those concentrations. And pathways, this term suggests a trajectory or course over time rather than a static scenario or outcome. So there are four primary RCPs often identified by the possible increase in radiative forces and um, for the scientific ones, in watts per square meter. By the year 2100, 2100, relative to pre-industrial values, uh, we have three scenarios of the RCP. RCP 2.6, this scenario assumes rapid emission reduction and the number 2.6 represents radiative force of 2.6 watts per square meter in 2100 and this is often seen as the most optimistic scenario where global warming is limited close to about 1.5 degrees celsius above pre-industrial levels and rcp 4.5 and rcp 6 these are immediate scenarios assuming some measures to mitigate emissions but not as aggressively as in rcp 2.6 so RCP 8.5, often termed the business as usual scenario, assumes the continued increase in emissions throughout the 21st century, leading to a radiative force of 8.5 uh, watts per square meter um, by 2100, and it often results in the highest projection of global warming. So the RCPs were developed to provide a consistent basis for modeling potential future climates and were widely used in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Fifth Assessment Report. So by modeling the climate under HRCP, scientists can understand potential climate outcomes, including temperature rise, precipitation changes, and sea level rise, depending on our action regarding the emissions and other influential factors. So it begs the question if there is some direct link between the RCP and the Paris Agreement. And of course, yes, there is a direct link between the RCP scenarios and the goals of the Paris Agreement, especially when you consider the temperature targets of the Paris Agreement. And here's how it relates. So the Paris Agreement's primary aim is to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels, and to pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Achieving this temperature target would necessitate substantial reduction in greenhouse gas emissions over the coming decades. So how does this relate to RCPs? So RCP 2.6 is the only one that aligns with the ambitious 1.5 degrees Celsius target of the Paris Agreement. And this scenario assumes rapid reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and would require significant global efforts in mitigation, potentially even removing CO2 from the atmosphere. So the Paris Agreement essentially calls for global action that will remove our trajectory away from high emission and RCP 8.5 pathway and towards or even beyond the aggressive mitigation envisioned in RCP 2.6. So in summary, while the RCPs themselves were not designed specifically for the Paris Agreement, they provide a crucial context and they allow us to understand the climatic consequences of different levels of action or inaction and show what kind of emission pathways we need to follow to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. So that's all for me this week on the African narrative on climate change. In our next episode, we will discuss energy transitions with someone I admire and respect so much. So stay tuned for that. 
we'll provide more information as the week progresses on our social media so follow us on that to get more information about that and if you have any questions suggestions for us on how to improve on our podcast please kindly send us a message or an email or better still just give us a call our information can be found on our social media and our website and if you have specific questions about today's episode please comment on the episode on the various channels in which you're listening and we'll be glad to respond to that as soon as we can so have a blessed week and i will see you shortly my name is aaron john bye Kasani keso, hamba kisobo, ba kisobo, kasani keso.